Church of the Red Door, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. One little quick uh, matter of duty here. Next week, what time are you coming? 9.30. You can come at 9.30. You can come at 9.30, but you'll be right in the middle of them. So we're going back two services, as, as you know. So we'll have 8.30 and 10.30. People start coming back after the Christmas uh, celebrations and festivities and things. So we're uh, excited to get back to two services next week. Just as a reminder, and we'll send out other things for you. Was your, how was your holiday? How were your holidays? So, you know, you said, well, how can you ask a big group? Because that might have been lousy for some people. Well, I hope that in light of us, uh, I appreciated you being here for Christmas Eve. We had a great time. had a full house on Christmas Eve. And we were talking about, you know, trying to see Jesus outside of just being in a manger and trying to see him as the cosmic Messiah, the Redeemer of all things. For that matter, the creator of all things. And I uh, wanted to firmly imprint that in my mind and then share it with you that when we were celebrating Christmas, we were thinking about Jesus. As Paul said to the Corinthians, we, we don't recognize him as baby in a manger in the flesh kind of guy anymore. We, we recognize him as a force so powerful that to be the creative force behind all the cosmos, everything that we can see. So I uh, hope that you uh, that enlightened your Christmas as you were thinking about that, both his humility to come in a manger and then also his glory uh, that he is at the right hand of the Father and all things will be subjected to him one day. Uh, they're not all subjected right now just because he desires that no one would perish. And so there is a slowness that we might perceive as being slow. Why didn't Jesus already come back? Because he... He sees us, and had he come back 500 years ago, well, that would have left me out, and only two of you would that have maybe, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't say that, Lord. I'm just... So anyway, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I'm going to need your help this morning because um, I've sensed that you wanted me to go a slightly different direction this morning, a radically different direction, but in the, and so I'm going to try to unpack this. Lord, we're desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit. We are desperately dependent upon you, Lord. We want to understand our journey. And there are, Father, we just need help. We need help. It's your grace. You draw us. So be with us this morning and uh, give us insight into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I got up this morning and I was, uh, I don't even know that I was in a real state of extreme prayer this morning. I just sensed that the direction that we were going needed something else. So as much as I had promised in your missive that we're going to get through the wilderness this week, we're not going to get through the wilderness this week, but we are prayerfully going to get through the wilderness next week. So uh, my sense was, and I feel strongly about that, that we need to understand what we've been talking about. We've been talking about this Exodus template for a while now. It's the leaving Egypt. It's going through the wilderness. It's eventually crossing the Jordan and moving into the fullness of your calling the promised land was a, not a place that uh, represents heaven. It represented a place of warfare, and we actually go in and begin to build. So we've been walking through these four stages that first we need to believe. There's some in here that don't yet believe, and, and I want to speak to you today. And there's some of you that don't quite belong yet. You're not quite connected yet. You don't have that connectivity with the body of Christ uh, it's, a, it's a sign of a lack of spiritual maturity when you say, well, I'm really not into organized religion. I can kind of, it's just this is between me and God. You just don't understand the template. You don't understand the very path for which God has given us all to walk. And then it, as we begin to connect and belong, we begin to become, and that's the hard part. That's where we're taking the idolatry that exists in our hearts, and God in his gracious, merciful way begins to extricate that those heart desires, those longings for the wrong things. And not all, not all of them are wrong. And there are cravings in our own heart that happen as well. And many of those are God-inspired. But when they become ultimate things and we look for, to them for satisfaction, we're not re ready yet to really cross the Jordan. Because as I've said before, how are we going to go in and help people out of the darkness when we still have so much darkness in our own heart? So there has to be a substantive transformation that happens while we're in the wilderness. And that at some point you, you become, we never become exactly like Jesus, not in this life, but there's a substantive place where we're finally moving to our calling and we begin to build. So again, to repeat those four, we need to believe, we need to belong we need to become like Jesus. That's what happens in the wilderness. And then at some point, 
you need to cross the Jordan and move into the fullness of what God has called you to do, even apart from your normal vocation. What are your giftings? What are your, how are you supposed to function as part of the body of the Christ? What I felt compelled for, and, I'm, and I will say this, I really felt the Lord spoke to me this morning in my spirit. I didn't hear an audible voice, and I know that gets very confusing, but how are we going to follow the Lord without hearing his voice? This very church, this very church at the Red Door is a function of people hearing his voice. And I really sensed in my spirit, and it was, he said that, that the people really qu don't quite understand, they don't quite understand that from the very beginning of starting their journey, they need to think and have faith into the completion of their journey. They need to already be, it's not a bait and switch, we'll put it that way. No, we, we, we kind of lull you in here because God's going to help you in your life and he's going to give you everything you ever wanted somehow, and that's not the, really the gospel either. And, and we lull you in with that, and then we, uh, over time, we get, and then you need to give, and then you need to do this, and you need to do that, and, then, and all of a sudden, there's this, wait a minute, I thought I was saved by faith, and a lot of you struggle because I thought I was saved by faith, and now you're telling me I'm really obligated to all these other things, and it's kind of complicated, and people get confused on what's salvific, in other words, what leads to salvation, and then what should my journey look like, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about Abraham. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go completely off script, although I would like that picture to stay up there because that's where we're headed. That's a picture of the Jordan. Many of you have been with me to Israel before. Uh, I've baptized a, any number of you, and, and our pastoral staff has, right there in River Jordan. We're ultimately, your passion should always be from day one. In calculating the cost, you're saying, I'm leaving my old spot family, friends, everything, whatever's necessitated, and I'm moving through the wilderness, and eventually I'm crossing that Jordan, and I'm going to move into the fullness of what God's created me for from day one, from day one. You need to understand that as a template from day one, not as some bait and switch way down the line. Hey, I'm saved by grace, and you know it's all private to me, and I don't need to belong and becoming, well, I'm already saved by grace, and there's this, always this confusion from day one, and I'm going to try to show you that through the scriptures. Go back to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, and I have none of this written down, so this is just, this is part of the original plan. This was the promise to Abraham. Now, this, this has uh, so many different layers that we could dive into this morning. Genesis 12 is the promise. It's the promise of the Messiah. Abraham, for those of you who are new to your Bible, was the very first circumcised, if you will, that's one part of the language. He became the father, not only of many nations, but a nation in particular, which would become the Jewish people, as we would call them today, the nation of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob would become Israel. His 12 sons would then be part of the 12 tribes of Israel that we understand, and the Bible's built on that. So when you get back to the language and the numbers and the 12s and all that, it has great meaning. And so Jesus and choosing 12 disciples, that had a particular meaning. So it started here in Genesis chapter 12. Up into this, just to, for those of you, again, are new to your Bible, we get through the flood, we get through Noah. No, Noah wasn't Jewish. Noah lived in advance of Abraham. You have the flood in Genesis 6 and, and 10, the nations and the Tower of Babel and how all that kind of breaks down and eventually you get to 12 and you get this genealogy in between and then you get to 12, and almost seemingly out of nowhere, this guy named Abram gets plucked out of uh, all these different people. In Genesis 12, it says, simply the Lord said to Abraham. It wasn't Abraham yet. He would have his name changed as well. And it's, a, it's a picture of, it's what Jesus did with Simon. He became Peter, Cephas, the rock. He became, he gave him a new name and in some ways, you get a new name. You have your name that you had in your old country, Egypt, in this case, Babylon, or the Chaldees, whatever, and you come out of that, and there's like a do-over, a big mulligan for those of you who are golfers. It's a start-over. It's a, it's a new beginning, and in some ways, you get a new name, and it's pretty exciting for me especially, all the failure that I had in my own life. In some ways, I get a new name, and he did, and it says, go forth from your country, that's always where you need to understand that the beginning of your journey with Jesus 
is going to be a leaving process, and there's no bait and switch. And that's why we stand against the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which would suggest that we're basically here just to feed your passions that already exist. God's going to change your desires, and then he's going to give you the desires of your heart. It's not, the gospel's not here just to feed your passions, and some are idolatrous. It's here to have you leave your country. And I'm going to show you that Abraham's journey is our journey. It says, and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. He didn't give you the whole picture. He doesn't give you the fullness of your life. And I've said that many times before. If he would have told me when I started this that I'd be like a pastor or something and be in the ministry out in Palm Springs, I'd have said, no, I'm not going to sign up for that at all. But he did show me, and I am fully content and, and understand his plans. What he did give me was just a picture. He gave me a vision, and I do believe with all my heart. He told me to come. Uh, he wanted me to come out here and pursue professional golf. And I assumed because he wanted me to pr pursue the PGA Tour that I'd be on the cover of Golf Digest magazine. I have a lot of money, and I'd be maybe help, helping build this church one day, right? Who knows? But not pastor. You know, I, I assumed because God said, I want you to go in this direction that I knew the end, and that if he wants me to pursue professional golf, then I'm going to be wildly successful. And I what? I had a few little, you know, a few little victories along the way, but... None of you know me in as a golfer, really. Maybe a few of you. He just said, go to a land that I will show you. And he'll give you little instructions. And you'll assume very often that those initial instructions are going to be where you end up. What you'll find is he gives you the initial instructions to give you direction, but it's not where you're going to end up. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. To a land that I will show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we know the larger scope of this text is the promise of his seed. In his seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's why it was important that Jesus came forth from the seed of Abraham. Jesus was the seed that then blessed all the nations. And because of his death, the Holy Spirit came, and then Galatians 3 says, and the Holy Spirit was then the promise that was promised. The blessing is actually the Holy Spirit that is now poured out on all of us who believe into Jesus. Here's the important point here. When you start your journey, it's like Abraham. He left, for him it wasn't Egypt. We've been talking about the, you know, this Exodus template, and they were leaving Egypt. In Scripture, you often get these big pictures, and it's Babylon. You'll see that in Revelation, for instance. Uh, Babylon was a representative type of the world. Egypt is a representative type of the world. You get that over and over. So we're leaving the world system, and we're going to a land that I will show you. And Abram had to do what? He had to go right through the wilderness because he was coming from the east what we would southern Iraq, roughly speaking, and he would have been heading east through the wilderness again, eventually called to do what? Cross the Jordan and take the land which I've called you. All the patriarchs have this, this type of mode. Jesus is trying to, the Father's trying to help us understand that we leave where we were. We, if you're Jewish and you embrace Jesus, it's hard. Many say you're no longer part of the family. I don't want anything to do with you. I, I know there's some people in here to, today that are, that are Jewish and had to leave family and friends and were disowned by their own parents. Well, but it, it's the same. Even if your parents applaud when you get come to Jesus or not, one way or the other, you're leaving something. You're leaving something. And then what? You go into the wilderness. That's what we've been talking about. And eventually you cross over the Jordan and you move into the land. Now, what's interesting is that he was promised a son, and uh, it wasn't happening. 
So as we just move over to Genesis chapter 15 real quick, it wasn't happening. Here was the promise. I thought all this, oh man, I came to Christ. I thought all this was going to be incredible and it's just not quite happening. There's some good things happening, but it's not quite happening. I don't sense the promise that you made to me. In fact, I have cancer or I have this or I have that or, you know, my kids, they don't know the Lord or, you know, you got all this stuff going on in your head and you're like, where's all the promise of abundant life that Jesus that Jesus gave me. And that's what was happening in Genesis chapter 15. He still didn't have the son. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Hey, don't fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward is going to be very great. Am I going to just stop for one second? Can I just tell you, if you understand from day one that you need to first believe and then belong and then become more like Jesus and eventually build the kingdom of God. From day one, count the cost, Jesus said. If you understand that, can I just tell you, I will, on the full authority of Scripture, your reward's going to be very great. You may not see any reward in this life, but I'm telling you right now, your reward will be very great. That gets me fired up. It just does. And Abram said, but, but Lord... What are you going to give me? I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I don't even have an heir. I don't have anybody. And Abram said, since, since you've given no offspring to me, one born in my own house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man, this Eliezer, will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He's going to be your heir. And he took him outside he said, now look up towards the heavens. I want you to do that maybe tonight. I want you to look up at the heavens and count the stars. And if you were able to count them, he said, so shall your descendants be. I know you don't even have anything. There's nothing going for you. Nothing. Doesn't look like God's got any chance. And God takes you out and you look up at the stars and you look up at the heavens and said, don't worry about it. I just don't want you to count. So shall your descendants be. And then the Bible, and this is one of the most profound portions of the entirety of the Old Testament, and it's full of Jesus language, but this is it. And Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, he was, he was believing into Jesus 2,000 years before Jesus would come. In part, he was believing into Jesus, into that greater picture. But he was also believing into the simple promise that God had made him right there in a vision. And he believed it. And so when we come to the New Testament, it says, no, you're saved by grace through faith, believing God. The question is, what are you believing into? Well, you're believing into Jesus, but you're also believing into a journey. Now, I know you say, well, are you saying you're not, you have to believe in more than Jesus? No, but you're doing something with Jesus. You're on a journey with Jesus. You're not just believing into some principle, some orthodoxy that's way out there and say, there's the cross, and if you believe into Jesus, you'll be saved. All that's true, but you're believing into Jesus. You're believing into a journey with Jesus, not just believing into a principle you're believing into a journey. You're believing into intimacy. You're believing into a walk. And Jesus always has you do, well, step one, believe. Leave your family. Leave whatever it is. You don't have to physically leave, but you're leaving in your head all your old support structures, all the way that you viewed reality. And he's going to take you to a land. He's going to show it to you and unfold it to you on the journey. It's like anything, the closer you get. When we were kids, we would always leave Texas and we would go to Colorado during the summer. Every year, that was our vacation. And I still, the Rockies, you know, John Denver, I don't, you want me to sing it, I won't sing it for you, but you know the, you know. And so, and, but you could see it, you could just start to see some of the foothills because we lived in flatland. And you could just see, and boy, it was like my dogs. I would just start to salivate, you know. And then we get a little closer, and then 
just a little bit of green and a little bit more. And we'd get up and, and there's New Mexico. We'd go through the northern parts of New Mexico. And Santa Fe was always kind of a, a way stop for us oftentimes. And we'd get some turquoise jewelry or something. You know, there's always what they sell there. And then you could, you were kind of in the mountains and you kind of leave it again. And you, and you just get a little closer. And as you go on the journey, all of a sudden these majestic mountains that you just couldn't see when you started. Go to a land that I will show you. So the question is, what does he tell us about the journey before? You got to believe. You need to connect. You got to belong. You're going to have to become like me. It's a hard, arduous process of removing idolatry from your own heart. Those fake gods, those counterfeit gods, as Tim Keller calls them, you have to remove those from your heart. In fact, you can't even do it. We're not even conscious of this, our own sin and the sin of the Holy Spirit, but you have to be complicit with the process. And eventually, you have to see yourself one day as building. I think that's probably the biggest challenge for the church in the West is that there's a sense in which, because becoming, going to church, being a Christian is so simple. We've kind of just... We've sanitized it so much that you can just kind of come and everything could just, you know, be nice and flowy and come and go to a nice service and get entertained and then, you know, and then leave. And, you know, it just somehow it seems and it, we've so sanitized it that we miss the journey part for a lot of folks. A lot of, a lot of, many of you are on that journey and you understand it, but many of you don't. And so wherever you are this morning, I hope this is like, okay, I understand the journey. I want, I want to go on that journey. I believe into Jesus. I want a journey with Jesus. And well, you're saved then. You become a child of God in that moment, in that beautiful moment. You're not saved by the journey itself, but you're saved by journeying with Jesus. And I, as I've said many times, of being saved every day. I wasn't just saved a long time ago. He's saving, from, he's saving me from me every day. It's a beautiful process. So I want you to go back forward to Romans chapter 4 now. And then I'm gonna, we're going to do something exciting. I'm going to bring one of my dear friends up here in a minute. And we're going to talk about this second stage that runs right prior to becoming, and that's just belonging, connecting. And, and then we're, I want to talk to her a little bit about what happens when we become and the cravings that go on in our heart. And I'm going to bring her up in a minute. But Romans chapter 4, again, the entirety of Romans 4, I'm going to summarize for you, and then we're going to look at it. It's like you've got to walk like Abraham walked. Abraham was justified by faith. You need to be justified by faith. Abraham took a walk, leaving his family. We just looked at it. What was, what was it that made Abraham righteous? He believed God, and then he left. It, now, if he would have never left his land and never gone and gone to the land that God would show him, would, he have, would it would have been a, true to say that he believed God? I believe what you're telling me, but I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. Titus chapter 2 says, the grace has appeared and it instructs us to pursue godliness. Of course it does. There's no way you can go on a journey with Jesus and then say, well, you know, I, Jesus, we're not going to go that way today. We're going to go this way. Or, I don't want to do that. We're going to come with Jesus, come with me. And we try to get Jesus to come with us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I want you to come with me. It's kind of scary. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, and he's, again, speaking as a Jewish man, has found? What did Abraham find? Romans 4, chapter 4, verse 2. Now, if Abraham was justified by works, in other words, if he was declared legally, you know, okay before God by his activity, well, then he has something to boast about. But he, does, he can't boast about that before God. For what does the scripture say? And now he's going to quote Genesis 15, 6, which we just looked at. And Abraham believed God. What was the context? He took him outside. He looked up. He says, see all these stars? So shall your descendants be. By the way, what he didn't understand, couldn't possibly have understood, is that many of you who are now followers of Jesus are those stars that were in the sky that night. And not just physical descendants. See, he only probably saw it as a physical descendant thing, right? I'm going to have a bunch of kids, and that was so important in that culture. I'm going to have more kids, and then they're going to have kids and kids, and I'm going to have all these descendants, and maybe before I die, I'll be a great-great-grandfather or something. This will be incredible. That was probably about as far as he could think. He couldn't have fathomed 
that God does immeasurably above and beyond anything we can think or imagine. I don't know if you watched the football game last night, uh, but the Clemson uh, was playing Ohio State. It was actually a great game. The first one wasn't so good. Sorry, you, you folks from Oklahoma. But uh, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched, I kind of taped it, and then I can watch it real short clips. And, and the quarterback came on. And he goes, and he says, Ephesians 3.20, and he just, you know, this 6'6", six, six amazing guy at Clemson, they've, he's won 29 games in a row or something like that. This is incredible. He says, no, God can do immeasurably, abundantly, far above, far exceedingly beyond anything, anything we can imagine. Now, the, you are one of those stars. If you, by faith, believe into Jesus, you're one of Abraham's descendants. That's what Paul tells the church in Galatia. It's amazing. Verse 4 says, now to the one who works, well, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but it's what is due. If somebody's going to pay you, you're going to, you know, it's just what you owe him. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So it sounds like, well, well maybe you don't have to go on this journey because you don't have to work. All you got to do is believe. No, when you believe... What are you believing into? You're believing into a journey with Jesus until you breathe your last. Can you understand that? That's what salvation is. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon whom the man God reckons righteousness apart from works. Now he's going to quote Psalmist, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. You have no idea what it's like to be clean before God. The psalmist was seeing that a thousand years before Jesus. Blessed is the man whose sins have what? Well, they've been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. I, I, I don't know if that, we should just stand up and start clapping right now. That is extraordinary. All my garbage in my life that I've, I've 56 years on this planet, all of that junk he didn't take it into account. Is this blessing then upon the circumcised? That's what be his physical descendants. Or upon the uncircumcised also, the Gentiles. That's, that's me. For we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned? In other words, how was it accounted for, deemed so? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. In other words, he's trying to... It's not about you being a Jewish descendant or not. This promise is blessing. That's not what it's about. In fact, the promise was made to him when he was not yet circumcised. Circumcision would become a sign of what it meant to be a Jew. So this has nothing to do with your physical descendancy. That's what he's saying. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. Okay, so this is the people who are going to do what? Walk into the faith of Abraham. And then it says something most profound, and this is the point. Verse 12 says, He's the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, not only to the Jews, but also those who follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. The promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, that verse 12, the second portion of that, it's those who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham are deemed righteous. Can you believe without being on a journey? Can you believe be in faith without leaving your old life, moving into the wilderness, have these idols extricated with a vision that one day you will not only believe, but you will build. And you can't build until, until you become like him, until you, until you connect. You have to connect to the body of Christ. How can you be part of the body of Christ and not be part of the body of Christ? So is connection important? Well, many of you know uh, my dear friend Marilyn Meberg. For all those years, women of faith, they were packing these stadiums out. She and Lucy Swindoll and all them, they were packing these stadiums out, uh, kind of the promise keepers for women. 
You know, it was just awesome. And I have this little quick clip, and I'm going to bring her up, and I'm going to ask her a question or two. But I'm, I'm going to bring her up. She talks about connection in only the way that Marilyn Meberg can. Watch this clip. the Alaskan cruise with Steve Arterburn two years ago. And one of the excursions was to go zip lining. And there was this sweet boy who was in charge of our safety named Jeff. And uh, he looked to be nine or 10 years old. <laughs> and we had come whooshing in and he would catch us, you know, on the platform. So now on this very last zip uh, part of the ride, I got to going way too fast, and I am ripping. <laughs> and I can see all my buddies on the platform looking horrified as I head for them. <laughs> totally out of control. And I thought, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. Grab that cable, and, and I stopped. Dangling. <laughs> there were a grouping of people, and they got larger and larger and larger down there on the ground. And they're yelling, look, there's a little old white hair dangling. <laughs> so Jeff yells at me, the little boy, and he has all this stuff clattered around him too, shackles, I called them. And he said, I'm going to come and get you. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> and then he does this hand over hand over hand, treading the air with his legs, and he gets to me. And he takes something off of his belt and hooks it onto my belt. And then hand over hand over hand, we make it back to the cheering friends that are thinking I was going to die. <laughs> but here's what I got from that. I thought many times when I talk about and think about the concept of what it is to be connected, I was totally disconnected dangling out there. And Jeff came and he connected me. He reconnected me. I think... How many of us have a point in our lives? We need someone to come. He said, I'm going to reconnect you. You've been disconnected. And the desire is to be reconnected. It is possible. Come on up, Marilyn. Come on up, Marilyn Meberg. Welcome, Marilyn. Love you, girl. I have no idea how we're going to go from that to this. Well, I know. I know. We're just going to transition. So in this process from day one, don't you think sometimes it's just believe in Jesus? And, that, and that's right. But there has to be a more profound sense in which you are going on a journey with Jesus. First, we believe. That's someone here needing to believe. Then we connect. We belong. Then the process starts of becoming. And a number of years back, you wrote a book called Constantly Craving. And I wanted you just to give it, why did you write that book? What was it about Constantly Craving? That, and, and in there you said, this starts in Eden. You know, there's, there's this deep craving that God puts in us, but somehow we lose our way, right? Well, we're just never satisfied. The human psyche always wants more because the human psyche is dominated by humanness. Yeah. You can quote that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I want, which is fully to be actualized right. and feeling good about me and my accomplishments and more and more are going to come my way, but that doesn't happen. So I crave more so that maybe that more will bring more connectedness and my connectedness will allow me then to feel that I'm satisfied. Yeah. And I'm never satisfied. I'm constantly craving. Well, you know, you, you, you talk about in the book, you, and I was, I've been reading through the book, and it's fantastic, but you talk about in the book that sometimes just the whole, even something like marriage or, or the soulmate or something is like, oh, if I can get that, then that's that craving, and then they hit first stage, which is kind of the honeymoon stages, and all the chemical stuff happens, and then that eventually kind of get, begins to go away, and then they think they've fallen out of love, and then they start the process over again. Yeah, yeah. Was I reading correctly? Yes, you did, and thank you for your kind words. The whole thing about craving is that we will have it until we're in eternity. We will never get everything here. Yeah. And so there's this itch. It's, and it started, it started in Eden. I'm really ticked off at Eve. She had everything. 
couldn't be satisfied. Well, where did that even come from? She had everything. So she sees this guy who offers her something. He was a devil. And she took it. She ate the apple. From then on, you and I are doomed. I had nothing to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> I might have had the brains not to choose it. Nevertheless, that craving in us to have always something more than what we're experiencing is a blight to the soul. But, but Marilyn, don't you think, honestly, don't you think we talk about, well, God fills that craving. God fills that hole in our hearts. And yet, practically, what does that mean? How do we get God? Is that just more prayer time? Is that more, what is it that can lead to some kind of satisfaction? Because Jesus talked about giving us more life and, and really abundant life. But so many struggle and they, they, they like the idea, but then they leave here and then it's immediately back to our stuff, right? I think we're going to have to learn to realize we are always going to have a craving but I like to understand why. Is there something wrong with me? Marilyn, get a grip, for heaven's sake. Are you spoiled? What's the deal? I am always going to crave more. Why? Because God wants to fill the craving. But it's never fully complete even here. Right. But until I'm there, I will be full. While I'm here, I'm doing some craving. So is that what George Ladd, Eldon Ladd, said when we're, we've got the already, but we don't quite have the it's still there's still a not yet yeah, aspect yeah, to it yeah right. and, and it can make you feel it being if you're feeling you're constantly craving it can make you feel like you're somehow inadequate you're socially you're spiritually not living up to what you could and then the devil uses that says, yeah you know you don't have it honey why don't you just go back to your old ways well you do have it you got jesus and he's there to satisfy your cravings but our cravings will keep coming back because of the humanity. Well, you know, Marilyn, when you, uh, let's talk in closing here, let's talk about this journey because I know, I mean, obviously you've been journeying with Jesus for a long time. 80. I, I'm 80. That's impossible. That's impossible. Do <laughs> you believe that? Still craving. <laughs> You're just a kid in Palm Springs. You are a kid in Palm Springs. That's right. So... So as you look back, I want to talk, because you and I have talked a lot about this, and, and uh, when you started with the, women, with the women of faith, and you got that phone call, and you could have never known. I mean, you, I don't think there's any way you could have conceived of what we just even saw there, but you got a phone call. Talk about that, and then why did you do it? My husband had died not long before I got that call, and I was horrified. I'm sort of a moron about many things, and Ken took care of my moronacy. When he died, I thought I would be doomed because of my moronacy, and so I would have to take care of myself. I'd have to make a living. Now, as a therapist, I thought I should have been able to do that, but I just was nervous about it. So when I got the call, I said, I can't. I've just lost Ken, and I've got to make a living. And uh, Steve Arterburn said, Marilyn, believe me, this is going to be big. How do you know? I just know. So I tentatively signed up for it. And it was big because the God of the universe had ordained for it to be big because the whole goal of Women with Faith was to introduce people to Jesus. That's always a winner message. Would, would you say that? Was that Ephesians 3 2? Was it abundantly it above, abundant. exceedingly above anything this you could have imagined? This sounds humanly braggy, but. In the 20 years we were in existence, women of faith, we had nearly 500,000 decisions for Christ in those 20 years. Is that years. unbelievable? That's a thank you, Jesus. Absolutely. So, so it's not unfair to say that when Abraham went out and God told him to look up at the stars and, you know, I'm going to bless you greatly, yeah. Ab Abram, at that point, that also was your experience. Absolutely. And that can be our collective experience Absolutely. as a church, as individuals. Is it, what do we think? What, how do you perceive church at the red door? How do you perceive that to look three, four? It doesn't matter. Did God say do it? If he said do it, I'm going to bless you greatly. Yeah. Yeah. And you couldn't have conceived that. And now, now some people say, well, it didn't work out so well for Stephen. He got stoned and it didn't work out so well for this guy over here and this guy. And Peter got upside down, crucified upside down. Well, wait a minute. You don't think they're living in the fullness of that blessing now? Sometimes you see the fullness of, sometimes this is a rare thing that happened with women of faith. 
I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know what's in, in the store for Church of the Red Door or for you individually with your business or for whatever you've been called to do. But I can promise you it's worth the journey. Yeah. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Do we love we'll Marilyn Meeberg? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we do. Love you. Great job. So here's what I'm going to start working on next week was your sermon for today. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to start doing next week, and then I'm going to look at just a couple things, and I'm going to close with a C.S. Lewis quote. But here's what I want to do. I want to continue to try to unpack. This is the becoming stage. So you can always put anything that you're listening to. I think this is helpful. Anything you're listening to contextually in terms of any sermon or if you're involved with a... a let me give you an example. Dave Seifert's going to start in February. He's going to start this... Uh, four or five weeks, Paul, I don't know what it is. Four weeks. He's going to do four weeks. It's going to be opposite. So you could come, for instance, I don't know exactly how we're going to get it set up. We'll get you all the information. But you could come to one of the early service or late service and also then go upstairs and be part of this gift class. What would that be categorized of? Talking about what is your gift, how you're going to... Well, that's the build stage, okay? So that's the build stage. That's a, that's a teaching on what it is to build with your gifting that God's given you. That's the build stage. Today, we kind of touched on connecting. We kind of touched on becoming. We're kind of touching on believing. We talked a little bit about the gospel. You can always say, what, now what part, what is this teaching speaking to? And you say, well, I already know that. There might be somebody sitting right next to you that just needs to believe. And so just, just be in prayer, you know, be thinking. What, what does this target? Believing, belonging, becoming, or building? If you can think of it like that. Well, the idols are in the becoming part, okay? If I had to get rid of all my idolatry and clean up my life and, and all that other kind of, if I had to do all that before I believed, well, good, good luck with all that. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You believe you come to the cross as you are. You come to the cross exactly as you are. Well, I'm just not good enough. You know, you're, that, that's, that's what the cross is for, people who aren't good enough, and that's all of us. Once you believe, you, you connect. And you, why? Because you need the body of Christ. I need Dave Seifer to talk to me about gifts. I need, I need Paul. I need my group. I need, you know, I need, I, I need this church. I need, I, need, I need a body to be, to be, to belong to so that, the gifts can flow through, and I can begin to become, and then I need to build with somebody. I can't just do this independent, so what are we going to do? How are we going to impact the valley? So the idolatry, we're going to look at, again, we're going to close out on what hitting, hidden things still lurk in our soul, those things that we think are going to satisfy, and many of them are good. And we're going to look at, again, what are they? And then we're going to say, well, how do we spot them? That's what I want to get into next week. How do we spot those things? It, it's so hard to be aware of what grabs your own heart. I'm going to give you some very practical ways in which you can spot them. And then thirdly, we're going to look at, well, what can I do about it? Each one individually, how can I actually extricate this stuff from my soul? C.S. Lewis simply said this. He said, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and they want acutely, really, I mean, they really want it, something that cannot be had in this world. I think that's essentially what Marilyn was saying. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, for instance, or first think of some foreign country, right? I, I'll never forget the first time that I, I, I was going to Germany. I was going over there to do a kind of exhibition, a golf exhibition for BMW. And, and, and I just thought, oh, you know, foreign country. And I'll never forget the feelings I had when we were starting to come down and land in Munich, and I could look out, and if you've ever flown into Europe, especially Germany, all these little perfectly parceled out, and it's a kind of a rainy climate in Bavaria. It's just beautiful, and these little, these little mystical almost looking cottages and, and, and flower things in, in, in front. It was just it was gorgeous as I was flying in, and I remember the 
expectation and the anticipation of being in Europe. I mean, I was like, man, I'm like in my mid-20s. And I was like, this is incredible. And now 60 flights later, I'm, I don't even look out the window. I don't. I don't even look out the window. It can't. It didn't. It didn't last. It's not that I don't enjoy being over there and it's the relationships and things like that. But it, it it doesn't grab me like it did. He says the first time we fall in love or the first time we think of some foreign country or or first take up some subject that excites us, our longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or even learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we have grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows exactly what I mean. The wife may be a good wife. And the hotels and the scenery may have been excellent. And chemistry may be a very interesting job. Can't imagine how that would be true. But, and then he simply says, but something has evaded us. Something has evaded us. So what is it? Well, in the end, it's, it's, it's your journey with Jesus. It is a, it's the most filling thing you will ever do here. And one of the reasons I believe so deeply in the journey with Jesus, the leaving, the going through the wilderness, the becoming part of the body of Christ, and eventually building his kingdom, which he told us to do through the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, those two, you know, loving your neighbors yourself and then going out and sharing, sharing Christ with people as a top priority. The reason he gave us that, though it entails sacrifice is because he knew that was not only going to, there's something deep in me that when I finish a kingdom task, I still possess it. Let me say that again. When I finish a kingdom task, whether it's giving sacrificially, financially, my time or something, something, when I finish it, I know, according to Jesus' words, that I have sent it ahead and it is stored for me in heaven. I know that I've sent it ahead. Any other thing that I try to fulfill is, and it's earth-based, I know it's over. That trip's over. If I want to go again, I'm going to have to, you know, ante up with the money again. If I want to do that, I'm going to have to, you know, it's over. It's gone. And there's something deeply satisfying in knowing, knowing with the deepest sense of knowing that everything I've done in his name will not be forgotten. And everything that I've done in my own name with my own. Now, again, we have to do things. I mean, I've got to drive, I have to drive some kind of car. I have to live in some place. I, it's not like this is a joyless existence. But I think what Jesus was getting at is I want you to have the sense of eternality of your works, the permanence of your works. It's like the psalmist says, make my, the works of my hands permanent, Lord. I want some permanence in my life, not this impermanence that we'll see next week in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In Hebrew, it's hevel, hevel. Everything is hevel. Sometimes it's, it's, it's laid out as being vanity or chasing after wind. It's like I can't quite, and hevel just really what it means in the translation here, it just means it's like smoke. It's like I just, I, here's this world, I'm going to get it just right, I'm going to get my world just perfect, ah, everything's, and I'm trying to like a balloon press it in over here, and my family's good now, but my health, oh, my health, and then my money, and then, ah, 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 and I'm always doing this, and then finally, oh, it's perfect, and I go like this, and it just, it just, it just is a vapor, it's gone, it's hevel, it's hevel, it's, it's chasing after wind, it's so impermanent, and I think we know that deep down. Your most caustic, cynical atheist knows that deep down in his or her soul, which, is, which makes the, the treading water the more frantic, and the, it feels like they're drowning because they know the very thing they're trying to satisfy themselves with is hevel. It's just smoke. It won't last. 
And they know it. They know it deep down. They sense it. But what else were they going to do? Religion? Jesus? I can't, I can't, you can't buy into that. Really? Will we have a church, I'm asking you, will we have a church that says, no, there is so much more? Can you believe and use your mind and love Jesus? Is it intellectually possible to believe into this, what they would perceive to be a fairy tale? Well, it is. Maybe in some ways you could say it's a fairy tale. It's the narrative of virtually every fairy tale that exists. This is just that one fairy tale that came true. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Literally raised from the dead. Not spiritually, not his little, his little, little mystical life went on in some way. No, he was raised physically from the grave. Which gives us hope. Which gives us hope. So I, I hope this misdirection this morning was, was the Lord, but I, I felt so compelled in my spirit as I was getting ready this morning. I was like, I just felt like the Lord tell my people that believing into me is going on, a, going on a journey with me. If you walk away with nothing else other than Marilyn looks really cute and you love her, right? <laughs> but if you walk away from, with nothing else, Believing into Jesus is a journey with a destination, with prescribed places to go that you can't possibly know about now. You can't know about it. And you're not even called to know about it. You're on a need-to-know basis. Why? Because those who walk in the footsteps of Abraham, these are the children, these are the descendants. So we leave, we go into the wilderness, and eventually we cross the land that's been promised to us. And oh, by the way, look up. Abraham, look up into the sky. You see that? I'm going to give you immeasurably, exceedingly, I'm going to give you so much more than you could have ever imagined with your life. That's not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Because it's not satisfying appetites that God has no desire to satisfy. He wants to satisfy the appetite and the craving that he's given you that could only be filled with a journey with Jesus. That makes sense? I want to do something really straight. Let, I want you, kind of corny, but not too corny, because the Bible's full of lift your hands, you know, praise the Lord, clap. I mean, read the last five chapters, last 10 chapters of the Psalms. Let's give Jesus an ovation here, right? Are you with me? Jesus, thank you. We, we thank you. We worship you, Lord. He is so worth living for. He's so worth it. And he will care for you till the very end. We're going to close with Psalm 23. And then here's the microphone, Paul. Paul, come up and close us in prayer. I'd appreciate it. Psalm 23, worship. Just think of it. He is our shepherd. He will walk us through this journey. And it is a journey. 